This episode is brought to you by Yoga Sleep and BetterHelp. We're happy to have them on board making this show a possibility. Welcome to If These Ovaries Could Talk. <laughs> I'm Jamie. I'm Robin. And we're your hosts. Let me sure. Love is love. Everybody. Hi, uh, here we are once again. <laughs> we're struggling now that we got our new little intro. I'm we not, can't I, figure out how I to transition. I want to say my name and I can't. I know. It's so weird. It's already been said. Anyway, we're here. <laughs> Wait, we got a news item, Jamie, yeah, to start we things do. off. Exciting stuff. Not, I mean, it's not really news as much as it's a, a, a listener. A news ding. Do, 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 ding. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, so we got a, like a little story. Uh, we got It's a listener email. <laughs> yeah. Somebody wrote in. In response to our February 3rd episode called Stacey Ann Chin is Back. Mm-hmm. In it, she talks about, Stacey Ann Chin talked about her daughter Zuri being an upstander and not a bystander. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we got a cool email from a listener about it. And she said, about your episode with Stacey Ann Chin, you talked about raising white men. Wanted to encourage you. My brother, and he's a blonde ski guy, recently told me how they had a girl in their in their friend group, who was telling about this guy she was dating who was being inappropriate or pressing. He knew this guy, so he went and talked to him about it, told him it's unacceptable, not cool, not fun. He told him that being respectful is the way to be in their friend group. What else did he say, Jamie? He said the guy really heard him out and visibly improved his behavior. The guy said hearing it from a man friend changed his view. It's interesting. And that he can see he was being unrespectful disrespectful my brother is not the big talking upstander guy never been but he has a calm way of speaking seriously to people to the point without fear on eye level it gives people a real opportunity to change i'm so proud of him i am a loud feminist but i've never done something like this so boys can be so awesome and they can improve each other it's really great thanks so much that's from eleanor on instagram and just to give a little reference we were talking about how we're nervous about raising white boys mm-hmm, and we mm-hmm. want them to be good we want them to, we want be, them to be like good people who stop people in the bad community. things from happening. Yeah, right. And not, you know, this, you know. Not the turds. Exactly. We don't turds. want them to be turds. We want them to be the guys that make. make we want the, them to be upstanders, yeah, upstanders, not bystanders. So thanks for that. That was thanks. like good feedback. And I thought that was really cool because it's definitely something that we think about a lot. We do. Raising Being young men. Gay moms raising young men. Um, I feel like probably I, every, most people everybody, raising. Everybody probably. Yeah. You would hope so. I mean, we love men. I mean, not saying we don't love men. We're not. You know. We're not man bashers. No, like people like to believe. I like men. I mean, we, did a, get, we did get. We did get that brother. feedback on on um on what we got a troll who told us like all lesbians oh. were man bashers. Yeah. And that's why we couldn't raise children. That's why we can't raise children. It doesn't even go together. It was like what it was like some of these trolls though are so uneducated. I'm just like I don't even understand what you're saying. Keep coming, somebody, trolls. Somebody wrote a, a comment on it was about like this past episode with Renee. Oh yeah, something about. I believe whoever I has the DNA is the is, is the is real the, parent. Yeah, and I was like, "What are you even talking about?" So adopted parents aren't parents. Like know, they're just yeah. so dumb. No, and one person said, um, "I believe the only people who can really be parents are the one who the ones who conceived." I know. I was like, I said, "What?" Well, everybody conceived. What are you You're talking dumb. about? Everybody's conceived. Everybody's conceived. Every single person in this world was conceived. So what are you talking Jamie, about? Jamie and I have like back and forths. <laughs> we're like, "Do we say something? Do we say something?" <laughs> and then like sometimes I'll too. sometimes I'll wait and wait and wait, and then all of a sudden I'll be like, "No, I'm saying something." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after that third margarita, <laughs> I'm <You're> saying something. <laughs> no, it's um. Generally, I'll, look and I'll be like, "Ah, shit." Anything. Robin responded, or then vice versa. <laughs> yeah. She'll look and be like, "Ah, shit." Jamie got into it. 
You just can't. I think it's funny. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't take any of it personally. It's not funny, though. Well, like, you never what, know. What's, what's not funny? They're going to drive by friends? our house? I mean, that's fun. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like there's way I more high-profile LGBTQ people they're going after than us. <laughs> they're definitely not finding us. There's, these people, most of them are like 80. And I'm like, uh. the one lady who was like, um, I'm not gay. I'm 80 and I'm single. And I and I wrote I back don't to need her. This post. Yeah, I don't need this post. And I, I wrote back to her. I was like, maybe you should give it a whirl. I know, Robin. I <laughs> it's fun. I don't care. Um, no, it's just people just who've never met a gay person, I suppose. And so this is what we're doing. We're introducing the guy <laughs> to everyone's life. Gay families. Gay um, families are so cool. Gay families. Should we introduce our next guest? <laughs> By the way, he's like a prominent guy, and we're going to introduce him talking like this. Oh, right now, jeez, I forgot who this episode is. He's like, who I had a girl, are Jamie. these dumb women? Okay, he was like, it seemed like such a powerful and smart conversation. <laughs> it was actually it, an oh. amazing conversation, and so we need to get to the episode yeah, because right. you guys need to hear what this guy has to say. It's anyway. His name is Richie Jackson. He's the producer behind Harvey Firestein's Torch Song. On Broadway, mm-hmm. plus Emmy and Golden Globe nominated TV shows such as Um Nurse Jackie. No big deal, just Nurse Jackie. I was just talking with Anne about how good that. I show love that was. show, Nurse Jackie. Love, love that it. show. But um, he, he wrote a new book called Gay Like Me: A Father Writes to His Son. Really amazing book. It was chosen by Town and Country as one of the most anticipated books of the year. It was named an LGBTQ book that'll change the literary landscape in 2020 by our o- friend Oprah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's going to be Oprah our friend. magazine. Yeah, she's going to be our BFF because our book's about to be that too. And we actually got to talk to him. Can you believe he came on our show? I can't. Um, he uh, winked. Uh, it's he's huge. He's big. This this book is amazing. Oh, I loved it. Um, and just just we do have to give you a little bit of a trigger warning because it does cover one little sensitive topic. Yeah, the first the beginning fifteen minutes of the interview, we're talking about um, losing a child at, at birth. So if that's an issue for you, you can skip forward to after fifteen minutes. Um, but it's a, this episode. It's a beautiful story. He and he's coming from worked. healing too. So oh, I, I yeah. feel like I want him to be my dad. I know my other dad, my brother. Brother, a friend, uncle. all those things. He's a good guy. He's a good hugger too. Everybody should get a hug from Richie Jackson. Well, let's listen to the interview, anyway, shall okay. we? Okay. <laughs> Hi, like Richie. Hi, Hi, Richie. Hi, Richie Jackson. Hi. Thank you for having me. Oh my thank God. you for coming. Yeah. More importantly, thank you for coming. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. We are so excited to have you. We have both been just talking back and forth about your book, like since <laughs> since your publisher sent it. So we yeah. were like, and he said this. Did you read yeah. that? Did you read this part? And I was like, yes, I have. Did that you get noted. To the part where he said this? Yeah. <laughs> so we're very excited to have you here. Thank you very much. Your book is called "Gay Like Me: A Father Writes to His Son." Um, we're going to talk a lot. We're going to talk that. a lot about that. But before we get into that, we putting you on the spot need to hear your thirty second elevator pitch. I'm going to time you. I'm getting my timer up right now. I'm trying to remember my Haftorah for my mitzvah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay, on your mark, get set, go. Uh, My name is Richie Jackson, and I am married to my husband, Jordan Roth. We've been together for 17 years, married since 2012. We have two children. Our older son is 18, and our younger son is three and a half. Oh. And both of our sons were born through surrogacy. Oh, look at that. Look at that. You still have well 10 seconds. Anything else oh. you want to say? Uh, I'd <laughs> like to do a tap dance number <laughs> <laughs> and sing. <laughs> can and you I, sing? Uh, that was your first follow-up sing. question. 
No. Oh, because you're in the Broadway world. I was going to ask I you I know, that. but I'm not on the stage. Yes, you're behind I the I am comfortably scenes. off stage. All right, well, so let's let's get into mm-hmm. the makeup of your family. Like, yes. 18 and 3. Yes. Whew. I mean, that's a... Well, you know, my husband and I joke that we do one at a time. Make sure we get it right. Um, uh, we we think everybody who does two at a time and three at a time is crazy. Um, You're not wrong. When our older son was graduating high school and still talking to us and enjoyed being with us, we thought, you know what? We're going to do this again. And so uh, we dived right back in. That's amazing. Amazing. So talk to us about the making of your first son. So our older son, Jackson, I had from a previous relationship, the actor B.D. Wong and I. Which, by the way, again, we're going to name check your book the whole night. At first, I thought, I was like, oh, we're not going to really know who B.D. is. We thought it was was initials. Yeah, I was like, oh, Oh, this is like some secret initial he's not going to tell. And then all of a sudden, like later, I was like, B.D. Wong. (laughs) B.D. Wong. Robin came to me. She was it's B.D. Wong. It's B.D. Wong. Did you know? Like Law and Order B.D. Wong. What I think is funny is I changed almost all the names in the book. Except except for B.D. Wong. (laughs) But he's okay with that, right? Uh, Well, we'll find out. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-oh. So far, no lawyer has showed up. He's in the entertainment Uh, He'll be thrilled. Yeah. So this was in probably 1998, 99, we were talking about starting a family. It was a while ago. It was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And we had, I had always wanted to be a father. That was the single drive of my life. The ambition of my life has been to be a parent. And I remember very clearly one day sitting on the deck of a house on Fire Island, and we had just had a big family reunion with BD's family. And BD said, you know, our parents are getting older and our nieces and nephews are getting older. And we're, if we're going to do this and if they're going to be part of our child's life, we have to do it now. Mm. And then we read this article in the New York Times about a surrogacy a- agency for gay people called Growing Generations. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. so we spoke to them and they said to us, you know, the really great way to do surrogacy is if one of you had a sibling, a sister who would donate her eggs, then the baby would be genetically both of yours. It's the gay dream. It is. The, it is. And, you know, they said a lot of siblings say no. Yeah. Well, because, c- you know, s- some people have things wrapped around that. Yeah. We just had our first guest. It was two, two kids. Sisters. Who, who, yeah, two sisters who their parents did that. It was two moms, and it was like the brother of the one mom and then the other mom. We right. interviewed yeah. the, the kids. kids are not gay. The, the no, parents are no, gay. just yeah. Like, yeah. And but that but that's the first time in all of our interviews, sixty some interviews, that we had somebody come forward right. with that. And then I saw it in your book, and I was like, oh, another yeah. one. I know. It's not you, as common as it's, you think. It's it's interesting because if you look at our son from cheek up, he looks like BD, and from his nose down, he looks uh, like uh, me. That's the oh, dream. That's so interesting. Yeah. That is the dream. Um, It was really, we didn't know anybody who had gone through surrogacy. We didn't know anything about it. We asked my sister and she said yes immediately. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the one thing we were recommended is to have a carrier, not to have a person whose egg you're using carry Mm -hmm. the baby. Mm -hmm. So we set out with Growing Generations to find a carrier. Back then in 2000, surrogacy in New York State was not, paid surrogacy was Mm -hmm. not legal. Shamefully, it's still not legal now. Uh, So when uh, we had our second child, we had to leave the state again. But back in 2000, there was one judge in all of America that would put same-sex couples on the birth certificate. 
Oh, really? And there was this procedure you would go through where you would get a pre-birth judgment and he would deem the parents, the intended parents, the gay parents, and he would make a decree and those uh, two people would have their names on the birth certificate. And back then, it was very important. Yeah. Because we had no laws protecting us. No. No. So, uh, no marriage even. No, right. So we had to have our baby in California and we found a carrier. And the judge death. that would do that was in and California? The, yes. How did you even find that information? Because back then it wasn't like as prevalent. Growing Generations knew, the surrogacy agency knew all of that. We actually know Growing Generations. Yeah, we, we interviewed, interviewed Kim. Kim Bergman. Yeah. Right. So um, back then the people who ran it were the founders. Mm-hmm. And they knew all the laws and even, you know, one of the things about using an agency is they're going to know what states you can do it in. It's yeah. a bit of hopscotch when you have a when you're a same-sex couple having a baby because you can't have the baby everywhere in America. Right. So you have to know what states you could do that in. <sighs> so scary. It is. Such a and in in 18 years how much it has changed, but yet how much but, still has to change. Yeah, you know, it has changed that there are more states, but New York State hasn't changed at all. No. Which is crazy. Right. And back in 2000, BD and I were expecting identical twins. Um, and our carrier was in Modesto. We were in New York. We were so far away from her because, again, not allowed to do this where we live. Yep. So it was a lot of phone calls. Mm-hmm. We did not have the money to go to the doctor's appointments with her. We had to hear about the doctor's appointments from her, and we'd check in with the doctor and he didn't know what to make of the fact that he was talking to two men who's having this baby. With, it was all very it new was all and very different. New. Yeah. And the babies came three months premature. That's very and Jackson's brother Boaz, uh, our firstborn son died uh, after an hour of being born. And Jackson was in intensive care for three months. I bring it up to mention we left the best medical care in the world in oh. New York because we were prevented from having yep. our family here and right. still are. So we, I fly out to Modesto. The doctor says, your second son will probably die, and we can't take care of him. We don't have the level NICU unit you need to take care of him. So we airlifted him to San Francisco. The very first moments of my being a parent were in trauma. And yeah. uh, Jackson had a surgery when he was eight days uh, old and two pounds. Sir, what uh, was the surgery for? He for had lungs, something or? called neck, N-E-C, which was a perforated bowel. And so he had to have surgery. Oh. Wow. And you're, and I imagine you're grieving the loss of your first son, the other baby. Yeah. So, you know, this was a big lesson for me, and I didn't learn it quite at the right time. We were so busy taking care of Jackson, mm-hmm. and we were so worried, and there was so much to do. And he was so fragile. Mm -hmm. We couldn't touch him or hold him for Mm -hmm. probably a month or a month and a half. I didn't realize you could feel lucky that one survived and also mourn at the same time. Mm -hmm. I think we didn't mourn properly Mm -hmm. at the time because we were, and because our well-intentioned family of friends were like, you're lucky, you're lucky, you're lucky. And I didn't know I could be lucky and sad. Mm. That was uh, years of therapy later. Yeah. I feel like that's in a lot of death. Like there's so many people around and there's so many activities and so much happening that you can't grieve until people leave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, grief, as I talk about in my book, is a manageable disease. It doesn't mm-hmm. really go away. 
to this day, every once in a while, BD and I will text each other. I'm having a Boaz moment. Um, and it was like, we'll pass twins in a playground. Something will happen that yeah. will bring that back to us. Wow. Yeah. Do you think that if you had been here for the delivery that maybe Boaz would have made it? You know, I don't know medically if right. that's true. I do know that we would have had doctors who probably would have understood that there was twin-to-twin transfusion happening, which is the, the lining between the identical twins tore. And I think that would have been identified earlier. Whether uh-huh. that would have changed anything, I don't know. Right, but it's something that might run through your head for the, for right. the rest it's of your life. It's almost like you can't yeah. think that way because then you would be in a what-if right. tailspin. Right. Wow, that I can't even imagine... You know, three months, did you have to move out there as well? you know, and also use up all your paternity leave. Yeah. Right. So Or even get home. Right. So what happened was we were there together for several weeks, and BD was in the middle of making a movie. So he kept having to run down to L.A. to do a day here, a day there. And then I would go back to New York when I ran out of my leave, and then we would take turns. And there was a moment where Jackson needed a blood transfusion. And they would not let BD and I donate blood because the FDA regulation is gay men cannot donate blood. That was in 2000 and still today. Gay men are not allowed to give blood if they weren't celibate for a year. There's no medical reason for that to be today. They know there's no good medical reason. I mean, especially since surrogates are able to carry for HIV positive people. So that, right. And how's that different? And back then, we needed to be tested to do the surrogacy. So they knew we were not HIV positive. Now, you know, because of PrEP and all the drugs that are getting people's viral loads so low, it wouldn't be able to be transferred to a baby. Right. Uh, So it is still discriminatory. And so I was sitting in this hospital seething Mm -hmm. that my baby, just a few weeks old, was confronting uh, homophobia and bigotry right at the beginning of his life. Well, I just imagine you must have felt so helpless. Yeah. It was I was helpless in an already helpless situation. Yeah. I had one baby who just died, one who's near death, and I was made to feel even more helpless. I pledged to take care of this baby. That was what you do as a parent. Yeah. And I was told I couldn't. Hey Jamie, did you know that sleep deprivation is something that all parents know too well. Yes. <laughs> Have you heard of this? <laughs> All I know is that restorative uh, sleep is crucial to overall health, yet it's so elusive. Oh, it's so hard to get. Tell me about it. I rarely get an uninterrupted night's sleep. Rarely. But that's why I love yoga sleep. Yoga Sleep has been making products for sleep for over 50 years. Did you know that? I did. And they invented the dome, which I love. love it's the, the very first white noise machine. Listen, they know how to make trusted products that actually work. And you know, white noise is a natural approach to better sleep and relaxation. Mm-hmm. Yoga Sleep also, they make sound machines for home, travel, and baby. I, I have them all. Oh, I know. I have them all too. <laughs> well, my daughter took the dome, and of course she leaves it on all the time, so of I hear course. it on the hallway like, okay. oh. but Such a nice but I, sound. Oh, I love it. It's I so soothing. Nice. I, I looked them up after I bought them because mm-hmm. I was so intrigued by it. And I learned that Yoga Sleep started back in 62 mm. when their founder invented the original sound conditioner. It had a real fan inside. And I think it still does. Yeah. And it's been like beloved by millions ever since. So good. And their products, this is one of my favorite parts about Yoga Sleep. Their products <sighs> are backed by a 101 night promise, meaning 
basically you're trying them risk-free. 101 nights. Yeah. That's a long time. Yeah. I did not know that, but I have no need to return mine, so no, I'm good. It's helping my whole family sleep since we basically all end up in the same bed at some <laughs> point during the night. We all love it. Even the dog. Even the dog loves it. <laughs> well, we have a deal for our listeners. You can go to yogasleep.com slash OCT, and you're going to save an exclusive 20% off a sound machine for natural sleep for the whole family. Okay, you heard it here, folks. That's yogasleep.com slash OCT to get 20% off. Yogasleep.com slash OCT. And then hide it from your children because <laughs> they, they will take steal it because they will love it so much. <laughs> After the babies were born prematurely, what happened with the surrogate? Did she stick around a little bit? She was in the hospital in Modesto for a few days. And she asked me to go buy a pump because she wanted to pump her breast milk. Oh, that's good. And Modesto is several hours from San Francisco. She would drive the breast milk to the hospital. That's incredible. And it would be frozen for him. Oh, wow. Oh, that's great. So he had a stockpile by the time you... Yeah, we had a... uh, So his first few weeks of... When, I mean, he didn't use breast milk for a long time. And then yeah. I, I, I remember the very first tiny little test tube of uh, breast milk that he ate once he his bowel problem was fixed. And it was the breast milk from the freezer. How, how did they even feed him with, before that? Was it just like intravenous? intravenous yeah. yeah. So one moment, I'll never forget, we came into the hospital to see him one morning and the doctor ran out into the hall and say. Uh, not in his brain, not in his brain, because he, he had been in the hospital so long, they couldn't use the veins in his arms and legs anymore, so they put it in his head. And she wanted us to know before we saw him yeah. that it wasn't in his brain. Yeah. Holy cow. Ugh. Yeah. So this is the trauma of starting parenting, and to this day I have not recovered from that. Mm. I know that I hug him too long every time I hug him. <laughs> you say I know this in your book, I yeah. just have the feeling he could slip away Mm. any moment. And I talk about in the book, there are moments now he's in college where every once in a while we'll be sitting at dinner and he'll take my hand. And I don't move because I don't want him to realize he's now holding my hand. Yeah, (laughs) And it is as uh, grounded and as whole as I ever feel. Yeah. Was there ever a point where you felt like he was less fragile? Because I imagine you took a tiny baby home. Right. We took a four-pound, four-ounce baby home on an Mm -hmm. oxygen machine. He was on oxygen for months after we got him home. And, you know, I felt like we limped home. Yeah. That we didn't really have a triumphant getting home. Mm. I don't know if you've had this experience parenting, but I'm always a little behind his development. Like, he's always been ready for things more than I think he's Mm -hmm. ready. And that has nothing to do with necessarily his prematurity. It's just he'll do something and I'll be like, oh, we're there now? I, yeah. I, I didn't realize. <laughs> I think we all do that. Like, you're I'm going like, outside oh, your by kid, yourself. Your yeah. kid does his shoes? I was like, why are we still oh, doing like, the shoes? That's right. Yeah. So, uh, so I think there were, you know, definitely a moment where I was like, oh, wow, he's way more resilient than I thought. But mm-hmm. the remnants of the prematurity, some of his motor skills and his, he wears glasses that are totally a, a remnant of the prematurity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how... How, how did you, the two of you handle it? Because it's such a big stress on a relationship. Uh, BG and I? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I have heard that 90% of couples that lose a child break up. Mm. And it was described to me as you're each in a lifeboat mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
separate lifeboats and you want to help each other. You just have no idea how to. Mm. What I think happened to us is it just um, unearthed a lot of things that were wrong anyway, and they might have come to the surface later. It wasn't necessarily this that broke us up, but it did unearth some issues that we had that just we had to deal with. I'm sure it certainly didn't help. <laughs> no, you know, I was very sad for very lo- for a very very long time. Yeah, from uh, from the death. Yeah, yeah, of well, course. And I imagine and from like dashed a- expectations and yes. from from what Jackson lost. Yeah, he right. lost the brother. I did. I want to ask you that. Does he notice the loss? Does is there anything? When he was younger, he talked about it more. Somebody the other day asked me. Because you said they were identical, right? They were identical twins. The last time he talked about it was on his, uh, the day before his bar mitzvah. He asked, had Boaz lived, would they have been bar mitzvahed together? Mm. He doesn't talk about it as much as he used to. Mm. Yeah, because I just wonder if there's that, you know how there's that just twin sensibility thing. I I wonder if he'll notice it later and um, have this, but uh, it it doesn't come up as much as it used to. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, he's got Ooh. a strong guardian angel up there. He does. Wow, so that's a lot. Yes. Yeah, so that's a so happy, are you happy you have me now? <laughs> yes, so you yes, <laughs> actually. But you know, our son is in college and he's happy and he's engaged in the world and he's a really special person and he's a miracle. Mm-hmm. Uh MBD's married and happy and I am, you know, obviously uh married and happy. So I think it all... Jordan's going to be listening going, you could have said that faster. Yeah. <laughs> Life goes on. Yeah, there's no alternative really. If, yeah. You know, part of how we raise our children is to have resilience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want them to ignore the sad parts like I did. Mm-hmm. And part of what Jordan taught me when I met him was life can be great, but it also is complicated and mm-hmm. don't smooth over the complications. Don't edit them out. Mm. That's a hard thing to do. It is. How was it defining, like, so, I mean, how old, like, how, how was it defining, right. like, two separate households? Yeah, so this is, you know, Jackson. we were very specific on how we handled our breakup and then also the addition of Jordan to our family. You were what, the first one to remarry? Yeah, I was the first one to get into a um, long-term serious relationship. How old was Jackson when you officially separated? He was two, and I met Jordan when he was three. Okay. Oh. Way too early, but when that, you know, if you meet Jordan Roth, you don't, you do not say, you know, (laughs) this is the wrong time. Can you see if we're still single in a year? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, No. That never works. So BD and I didn't ever use the word custody because that seemed, I mean, one of the benefits of the discriminatory law back then of us not being allowed to be married is we didn't have a lawyer or a judge tell us what our separation agreement had to be. We mm-hmm. made it up by ourselves. It wasn't War of the Roses. We had no war. We didn't have War of the Roses. We didn't have anybody telling us what to do. It was the two of us. We didn't use the word custody because that felt like you don't own a child and yeah. we didn't want one of us to feel like we, we never used the word primary. Mm-hmm. parent. We got a credit card that we called the Jackson card. And we just always used it for anything we spent money on him for. 
We've so never smart. had a, we've never had a financial conversation. And this was back when so you just split the bill, split the bill, no questions asked. And we had no money. I mean, it wasn't, we just avoided money conversations by doing that. So smart. I've never heard of that before. Yeah. We did this well. When Jordan joined the family, we did not use the word step parent. We didn't make any delineation that he was anything but a full parent. So all these words, these loaded words that cause bad feelings, we dispensed with. And the biggest problem was the schedule, the switching from Jackson hated it. Yeah. And and BD was in New York also. BD was in New York. The switching from home to home. He hated it mm-hmm. and always hated it. Just because he wanted to be in one particular yeah, place? You know, it, had we had the wherewithal back then, we might have, although I don't, couldn't imagine how this would work, is that whole bird nesting. Have you heard about that? No. Where you you leave the kids right. in the original and home switch. and you switch out. Yeah. So oh. the kids always are staying in their home. Yeah. The issue is you need three homes. Yeah. So that you have to have a certain amount of money for that. A lot of money. Yeah. Also, you're still stuck yeah. in some ways living with your uh-huh. ex because yeah. in their shared space. Yeah. That's the part that always weirds me out. It's like you're going to still be annoyed, but they left the, that's, the cupboard open. That's mm-hmm. what I'm saying. You're mm-hmm. still stuck in all those things that bothered you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't have necessarily worked for us, but the burden of the separation, the schedule was not, you know, it wasn't only that I missed him every weekend because the way we did it is he lived with us Monday through Friday and he was with BD on the weekends. Because the split weeks and the one day here, one day, it was just too much for him. Mm-hmm. I know someone else who did that so that they, one parent had like school and the consistency and then the other parent had weekends. That's what we did. We we wanted him to go to school from the same desk every day and come back to do homework. And mm-hmm. what we really started was on handoff days, BD would come to our house for dinner. Oh. And then they'd leave. And then it wasn't until Jackson was 13 or 14 and says, are you doing that for me? Because <laughs> I don't <laughs> need to, to see you around. all together. <laughs> and so then we stopped. <laughs> but I wonder if it was, if it did have an impact for when he was little. I would imagine it did. Yeah, he would never admit it. Though. No, of course not. <laughs> he will later when he has kids. Well, it will still be interesting to see. <laughs> and is he close with BD's new partner? I think, you know, because he came so much later, mm-hmm. I think he's a, you know, like a good friend and not a parental figure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jordan, like you call in the book, uh, he calls him Daddy Jordan? Yeah, so years ago on his own, he just started calling Jordan, Jordan Daddy, which I thought was really, it sounded very Southern. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then Jordan. He, switched it, <laughs> he switched it to Daddy Jordan, and then that's what it's been. And that's are you? Dis- I'm Daddy. You know, we kind of changed things when our baby was born, but... With Jackson, uh, BD's dad, I'm daddy, and Jordan is uh, daddy Jordan. Mm-hmm. Levi, is he going to call you two different things? He calls you different <laughs> things. Well, that's not confusing it's, at all. I know. Well, you know, finally, Jackson just calls us by our first name. So I yeah. thought, what the heck? <laughs> he calls me dada and Jordan daddy. Ah. I, I mean, I feel like we, we talked about we talk about this regularly. It's something that comes up. But I was really like, my kids are going to call me mom, and my kids call me mama. And yeah. I like whether I like it or not. And at first I was like, stop. It sounded like big mama. But I was like, <laughs> but then I was kind of like, all right, I like it. All I right. know our son all on his own. I was da- dad and Jordan was daddy. And Levi just started calling me dad, dad. And I, 
think it's adorable. Yeah. But do you have to do do what we do and send a little note to every new teacher with the key? You know, we we uh, send a little. So what do you send? Well, we send a little note every year to say, okay, when Levi says Dada, he means Richie, and when he says Daddy, he means Jordan, and it's very specific. That's so we, nice of you. I we, don't take yeah. that time for the my teachers. Kids, my kids correct everyone. They're always yeah. like, no, mom. Yeah. yeah and yeah, I heard another kid ask my kids this weekend, um, is, do, would you call them something different? And I was just like standing behind them watching the whole conversation. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah. He was like, she's mommy. She's mom. And it was like, it was so fascinating. My daughter just did that too on the street with one of her little playmates. She said, which one is this? Which one is this, mom? What do you call <laughs> this one? She goes, that's mama. Oh, it's so hard to explain because I have two moms. You know, like <laughs> as all six-year-olds can get exasperated. But no, I don't send a key. We should do that. because that's a good idea. Because the teacher is always asking me, like the day, we, our son is in daycare and she's always asking me, which one are you? What does he call yeah, you? Well, I because, sign you know, they do the tell stories, mom. right? Yeah. They tell stories. They talk about you they at school. Do, yeah. And they're very specific. As right. to who, so we want the teacher to know, That's and should idea. they ever say call, you know they they want someone called that it would be good that the teacher knew who yeah that's true what's because so, if oh I was just gonna so say what's thoughtful. so funny is like I don't even care I'm like they just call whoever picks up the phone and I'm like if it's usually me Mary doesn't pick up she never like by the way never picks up her phone I'm like why do we have a phone for you because it's never the ringer's not ever on you're so, ever you're super thoughtful that really is that's really nice of you people ask me and I tell them I'm mama she's mommy they never remember though and then I, I don't say, remember shorter? Jamie's. I don't, I mean, and we've been doing this podcast about? for is two years. Is it just me? Is it just me? Is no, it my, I don't remember anybody's. I'm shorter mom, shorter word. Oh, oh. that's interesting. Okay, that's good. All right, a little mnemonic right? device. Like still not can I just remember. tell you I why uh, Jackson never wanted a mom? Yes. It was because when he started having play dates with other children, oh. and the, he's like, <laughs> he'd come home and say, those mothers are so strict. <laughs> and it's like, I'm so glad I don't have that. <laughs> that's hilarious. Jamie, oh my God, we have got to talk about BetterHelp. Oh, you finally signed up. No, no. but I did sign up my lacrosse mom friend, Natalie. (laughs) What's wrong with you? I'm helping people. Okay, and how is she liking it? Well, number one, she loves the convenience of it. She signed up on her phone right there on the field, Mm -hmm. and she was matched with her own licensed professional therapist by the time she got home. Yep. Piece Mm -hmm. of cake. I know, I know. I love it. I'm telling you, it's great. I schedule my weekly video sessions, but you can also do phone if you don't have video. Natalie does phone. Yeah, right. See, (laughs) and it's, it's, you know, it's for everybody. And I never have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room like you do have to do Mm -hmm. with like traditional therapy. I mean, and that is always so awkward sitting in that waiting room. I mean, I think that's what Natalie (laughs) loves too. Yeah. And my wife, Mary. I mean, listen. (laughs) Everybody, everybody you know. And my sister, all these people that I've signed up for better help therapy. But what I love about it is that it's more affordable because I do the bills right. traditional uh, offline counseling and it, there's financial aid is available. Yeah, I know. You should do it. You should just sign up already. Listen, I signed up Natalie you for need it. help. I'm feeling good about that. <laughs> Robin, <laughs> I'm telling you, the thing is, it's legit. It's not a crisis line. Mm-hmm. It's not self-help, you know, so you shouldn't be so afraid of this. It's professional <laughs> counseling done securely online. It's your time, I'm not Robin. afraid of it. That's why I signed Natalie up oh for it. <laughs> Listen, guys, you heard it here, folks. Be like my friend Natalie, BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today, mm-hmm. in all seriousness. Just visit BetterHelp.com OCT. That's better, 
H-E-L-P, and join the over 700,000 people, 700,001 now that Natalie joined, <laughs> that are people that are taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Yeah, we also have a special offer for If These Ovaries Could Talk listeners. You'll get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash O-C-T. That's H-E-L-P. I should be getting commission from them. You I'm should just you, be signing so up. Much. What is wrong with you? I'm so good. <laughs> Problems. <laughs> I want to talk about your book. Okay, yes, great. because it's, it's so good. I just want to give our listeners uh, uh, some insight into the book. It's you wrote this to your son. Right. So our, uh, our oldest son, Jackson, when he was 15, told Jordan and I he was gay. And I was elated. I wanted him to be gay. I had mm-hmm. hoped he was gay. In fact, when we were pregnant, I kept saying, you know, I really want to raise a gay child. And he said, Daddy, being gay is not a big deal. My generation doesn't think it's a big deal. Right. And I thought, oh, no, being gay is a really big deal. And I started to think about all the things I'd need to share with him about what it means to be a gay man. And then Donald Trump was elected and brought with him to Washington Mike Pence, They are more of a threat to our son than ISIS and North Korea. They have declared war on the LGBTQ community. So now I had to warn him what it takes to be a gay man in America, just as he's about to leave our home to go to college. Mm -hmm. And that's why I sat down to write uh, the book. You just right. literally hit five of the things that we want to talk about. Okay, so good night, that. everybody. Thank <laughs> you for, thank you. Thank Try you for having me. You come at this with such a different experience than your— uh, Robin Robin was bringing this up to me earlier, and I'll let Robin say it. The, the whole divide that happens between these young kids coming out today versus somebody who came out It's the rainbows. Ago. The rainbows have yeah. ruined us. Yeah, I just can't <laughs> well, stand like they, those rainbows. Like the gay bars are like almost gone. There are no gay. Like, by the way, you mentioned I, Uncle Charlie's. I was like Uncle Charlie's. Oh, I miss <laughs> Uncle Charlie's. <laughs> but, I think there's like one lesbian bar left yeah. in the city. It, Henrietta's yeah. is still open. Henrietta's is still there. Is uh, there one in Brooklyn? The Cubbyhole's still there. Cubbyhole's there. Meowmix is gone. You know, there are I more think. gay-friendly places than gay places now. Yeah, that's a real well, loss. Well, Mary We're calls never, them neighborhood bars. Yeah. Well, Robin, you say this a lot too. It's like all the kids just go hang out now. Like it doesn't matter what you are. Is it you who says it or is it my wife who says it? Well, because they don't need to, um, (laughs) how sad is that? Because they don't need to find, like you mentioned this in the book too. We're just going to basically be your parents. We're like, you mentioned this in the book, but like they, like we, I remember like, and I make this joke, but I really mean it, like trying to bring up like softball or Melissa Etheridge or some kind of something to just be like a nod and a wink. Like, yeah. are you gay? Are, are you we on the same us? team? Because yeah. you couldn't just open an app. Right. Right. And like they have, like because of that, they don't need those experiences. I think they do. I mean, I'm, okay, I'm using the wrong word then. Right. They don't, they're not having them. They're not, they're not cognizant I of. Know. But you know what the parallel I think is? Is I think of the millennials who are, I I had no money. I came out of college. I think I had $100 in my bank account. I had no safety net. No parents could help me. And me and my best friend from college lived in deep in Brooklyn when no one was living in Brooklyn, eating ramen noodles, drinking beer in the apartment because we couldn't afford to drink once we got to the bar. And the millennials are missing that. They're missing, <laughs> like, and I mean that. Like, they they need that. Like, that's where I grew. That's where I became an adult. Well, I think it also, community is really important. Mm-hmm. And I think it's great all these kids who say I'm I'm not straight or gay I'm queer yeah or I'm you know I'm open all those words to describe feelings are great but where's the word us I'm part of this community 
that is really important. And they're not getting these experiences of being in the majority in anywhere in the gay bars is where I found that. And mm -hmm. I think it's important to have a sense of community because and not only to understand the power of being gay, the power of otherness and how being gay is all about creativity and exuberance and has an ex has extraordinary people in our community, but also there is a war being waged on us and we have to fight back. This young community has to do what we do did act up and fight back. Right. And so I want to make sure that all of their openness is still making them part of our community to fight back. Right. You talk about your identity as a gay man in a, in a unique way that I have not really heard spoken much at all. And I'm just, I just want to read what you wrote. You, you say being gay is the most important thing about me. I have heard all the damaging delusions. Gay doesn't define me. Gay is just a part of me. I just happen to be gay. These are dismissals, rendering gay as incidental, merely matter of fuck. Merely matter Not of matter fact. of fucked. No. Merely matter of fucked. <laughs> Maybe. Fact. Sometimes Maybe it is. definitely matter <laughs> yeah. of fucked. Um, it's yeah. just, and then you go on and you go on and explain how being gay is just the most important part of your identity. And I have never heard anybody say that. And well, I, I just find it really interesting. So please. I think partly because we're taught to diminish ourselves mm -hmm. all the time. So we've gotten to this place where our liberation to ourselves feels like saying, well, being gay is not a big deal. That seems to be the best possible place we can be. And I don't want to celebrate being gay just one day at the end of June. Being gay is the most important thing about me. It informs everything about me in every part of my day, all day long. And I'm not going to diminish myself for anybody. Mm -hmm. Think about what we all go through as LGBTQ people. We're marvels. We disappoint our parents. <laughs> We're at battle with our government. We're stigmatized by religions. We are bullied in our childhoods. We're erased in our classrooms. We've survived a plague. And still, we rise, come out, and say, this is me. That is the spirit of an extraordinary species of people. That's how we should be talking about ourselves. That's how we should be treating ourselves. And that's what I'm hoping uh, to do with this book. Right. When you put it that way, it, it feels like what, wonderful. Yeah, it feels like what you're saying is we can't forget our history because we are considered by some, many, I guess that's debatable, as it's more acceptable now. So we uh, yeah. can't think citizens. You know, one of the things I'm finding as I go around and talk about my book is I think it's going to be harder for my son to come out in 2020 than it was for me in 1983. But your son doesn't think that though, right? No, he thinks it's no big deal. There are over 100 anti-LGBT bills in state legislatures. Over 30 states in all have them. There is an epidemic of transgender women mostly women of color, being murdered. Yeah. The Trump administration has argued in the Supreme Court that it's okay to be fired for being gay, that gay people should be able to not have families. Uh, they're letting states that get federal funding for their foster care yeah. deny LGBTQ families to foster and adopt. There is a war going on. And as I said, I think the rainbows and the love is love has lulled us. All the visibility is a veneer. It hasn't made us safer or whole. Mm. You talk about that a lot in your book about how be, a big part of being gay is protesting and fighting. 
in and I agree, I do believe a lot of that is lost. Don't you um, don't you think it's not just lost on gay youth, but it's like youth, like in general? Well, like they're you know, not necessarily fighting the way that everyone was fighting. Well, I think look, I think social media is an extraordinary way to get out an idea and to to quickly get a group of people together. But then putting a rainbow on a tweet or an Instagram is not protesting. Right. When my first act as a gay person was marching to try to get the government to combat AIDS. Back when I was younger, the pride day was marches. They were not parades. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now there, it's a parade and the, the colors are uh, blindingly positive. Yeah. It's just corporations. Right. Advertisement. Yes. And you do say it is wonderful to see that. Last June, the 50th anniversary of Stonewall, there were two two events. There was a queer march in the morning that was more fists than flags, and there was angry chants, and there was a die-in, and in the afternoon was the parade and corporations mm-hmm. and lots of rainbows. And I think both together uh, tell a more a better story than just that one parade. And much in more the broad. Yeah. So what would be? I'm trying to figure out how to ask this, but like, what would be what you would want from your son, like for him to say or to embody that it would feel like he was coming at it from from what your your letter is to him. Right. Does that make so, sense? Yeah, I think partly I want his liberation not to be to diminish it. Not to say when we get finally get our rights, when we're finally safe, to say, well, being gay is not a big deal. I would like him to understand how important it is to be gay. It's how you love. It's how you're loved. It's how you're governed. It's how you're politic. It dictates which states you can have a family. It dictates which laws pertain to you, which laws don't. It dictates when you can hold the person you love's hand and when you don't feel safe enough to kiss them goodbye. It's really important, and I want him to understand that, how daily important it is. I don't know about you guys, but we didn't politicize him when he was little. We didn't. We wanted him to feel safe. Right. So we never let him know how All the imper- measures you yeah, took. And how careful we had to be. Right. Because we wanted him not to be scared. That was something I wanted to, to ask you about. You say that in the book about how... Y- you kind of sheltered him from the fact that you made sure you chose vacations that were would definitely be gay friendly and welcoming right. to the family and everything. And you he did didn't was notice I didn't him. kiss Jordan goodbye on the subway when right. we dropped him off at work, or that I was always looking around when we were in a supermarket and he would call out Daddy or Daddy Jordan just because you have to be aware as a gay person in America, you have to be alert. Yeah. And he was not aware that we traveled everywhere with his birth certificate. Right. Yeah. And, right. you know, I, mean, I will tell you, in 2016, when our baby was born, and then after Trump was elected, our lawyer called us and said, I know that your names are on the birth certificate. Now get a second parent yes. adoption. Yes. yes. Yeah. We're it's, getting ready to go to the Dominican in a in a week. And I, I every time going to another country, I think, absolutely. you know, okay, is this going to be the moment where they're like, oh, why do you have a king size bed or all that? Like, like, and I have that hesitation, but I mean, this is the, this is the only part I struggle with what, what, what you're saying is like, don't you think it's good that he doesn't have that baggage? Well, now that he's gay. I know, but I'm saying like, he, he doesn't have that knee jerk reaction. Like, like the, like I will have on the subway still to this day. Like, it, like I'll think if Mary goes to hold my hand or something, I'll be like, I look around to see who's on the train. Like all those but things his are not having that knee jerk reaction. Doesn't mean he's more safe. 
Right. I mean, nobody's at least he's he's the same unsafe, but at least he doesn't have the 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 bad feeling in his heart at the same right. time. So what I think of it a little differently, I think he doesn't have the gay guard. He needs to be aware right. of when he has to be uh, careful. Right. Like you say in your book, he's going to go out into the world now as a gay man. He's going to go away to college. He's going to be in different towns and with different people who don't who didn't come grow up with the same sensibilities that he did around right. yeah. the LGBTQ world who have judgments on the LGBTQ world. He's going to be having sex with men who have a lot of shame over the fact that they're gay. Right. That's the part. And that... he doesn't have that guard up. He hasn't thought that through. It right. is a really interesting take that I would have never thought about. The, the sex part is really where I've talked a lot about uh, with him and I talk about in the book. When I came to New York and I was 17 and we were all experimenting with each other, I didn't know anything. And the first guy that I had sex with before I sat up in the bed broke up with me because he said, we shouldn't be doing this. Mm -hmm. He was so shameful. The second guy uh, I had sex with told me he was straight, then leaned in and kissed me. And we had this feverish a few weeks affair. And then he said to me, I'm straight. Mm -hmm. I didn't know at 17 that I couldn't save him from his, the horror he had. Yeah, homophobia. The third guy, after intercourse one night, punched me (laughs) and said, how could you have done that? Mm -hmm. He was so angry at having enjoyed sex with a man. So what I talk about in the book and what I've said to my son is you won't know where in a young person's journey they are when you have sex with them. They could be closeted. They could have been bullied. They could have been abused. They could be Mm self-loathing. You have to take care with them and be good to them. Because of the world we're in, we are still in a heteronormative world. Right. Um, And I have to say, when I was reading that chapter, I had, my initial thought was like, oh my God, he is He's saying, talking. He's so talking much about sex with his kid. gay sex with his kid. This I is was so. The same thing. This, you know, and then I had to check myself. I had right. to check myself, and then I realized that's not about being gay. I don't. I'm not like. I don't want my parents to. Well, they're dead, but I don't want them to talk about sex with me. Period. But so it's how just much like, more important is it the the fact that you're a gay man and you are talking about your sex life with your son? Like it's a like it's. I want to say like it's a beautiful thing, but you know your story is. It is an absolute blessing. Right. That I get that opportunity to give him what most of our LGBTQ youth don't get. Right. Less than 7% of them get an inclusive sex ed. That was fascinating. That struck me big. That, big time. That's nothing. You're peeling back the curtain right now into a gay man's sex life, which I know nothing about. Right. I'm well, lesbian. You've seen the videos. I mean, I've seen videos. We've all seen videos. You know what I mean? But like... And then when you said that about sex education, I re- a light bulb went off in my head. Like, oh, my God, no, we have no gay sex education. Well, I thought it was interesting when you said that you told him, like, both ways when you told him about sex because you weren't sure his orientation. Right. I was like, that, I was like, what? Right, and when that's he was amazing. 11, we wanted to, we told him about all types of sex because we yeah. didn't want to give primacy of one over the other. Right. That's amazing. But you that know, never occurred to either one of us. Like and Jamie and I were both moms. like, yeah, I was like, I I literally was thinking about how I got a book. It was about straight sex. I mean, I think there was some mention. But I don't know. I think I would, you know, some sometimes you're with a woman, sometimes yeah, with your man. But that was but about I, it. I mean, my daughter's six, so I haven't right. really gotten you have into time. it <laughs> You know, everybody says to me, how could you talk to your son so openly about sex? And I was like, 
my parents are going to read this. That's I was much more worried <laughs> yeah. about them than my son. By the way, you revealed some stuff about the good, the good stuff that you did back in the day. You yeah, went in there. You I, got, I feel like you had some fun. So you know the thing about writing a letter, and I think every parent should write a letter to their child before they set off. You don't have to have other people read it like I am. <laughs> you don't have to be <laughs> with the publisher. Your son's like, Dad. I know. He gave me permission <laughs> yeah, before I wrote it. But since it was a letter, I couldn't smooth things out. I yeah. couldn't edit things out. Uh, it would have been worthless to him if yeah. I did that. Mm. And I wanted him to know how extraordinary it is to be a gay man, but also how harrowing it can mm -hmm. be. And you can have both exist at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to help him understand how to manage the harrowing part and take full advantage of the extraordinary part. Well, he's um, he's got, unlike... Most of us who come out as gay, he's got two, three, four guides who have done it and who have created beautiful lives with those identities. So, like, he's he's pretty he's lucky. lucky. Yeah, he, he needs to um, take advantage of it. But. Right. What's his reaction to the book? So I gave it to him just as he started college. <laughs> so he was assigned Aeschylus and Plato, and I gave him my book, and I've been put aside until he, has, he gets uh, his reading for college done. So I'm hoping right. this summer he'll take a look. <laughs> but, like you know, we, we we have dinner. When he was in high school, we had dinner every night as a family. And so these ideas won't be necessarily all new to him. A lot of what I did as a young person and all the sex stuff will be news to him. And a lot of my experience during the AIDS epidemic will be new to him because I didn't know when the right time to talk about a plague with your child is. And so that will all... I, left it for the book. And you you lived through the AIDS epidemic. You, it was you lost really, a lot of friends. Really powerful. When I was 22, I was at a funeral every weekend. And, um, you know, I talk in the book about how my parents are elderly now and they go to doctor's appointments and funerals. My friends did that in uh, our 20s. Yeah. yeah. I grew up in San Francisco and so they were really, um, our sex education in middle school was like AIDS, AIDS, right. AIDS. Condoms, condoms, AIDS, condoms. these are the signs that you have HIV. You know, that was even before we said HIV, before, right. be, you know, right. it was still, we, they didn't even know that much. But um, I was so scared that I had AIDS, you know, but that was my sex education mm. was just all about AIDS. So I have this fear. You talk about the, the fear you have that is wrapped up in sex. Right. I have it too, just because it was ingrained in me as a child that sex leads to AIDS. Right. Yeah, no, I never have sex without thinking about death, even now, even married. That's deep. Woo. Was I Rosie mean, O'Donnell more fun than I was? <laughs> By the way, no, she she got very oh, yeah. she got she very places like deep. She got very deep in talking about you know her her ex who who died and right. and like all the all that she went through. And, and we both said to her that I, you know her life because you know her from TV. But when you hear it, when you hear someone's journey beginning to end, it's very powerful. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the things I wanted to do with the book and why I had to be so honest and vulnerable is I never wanted Jackson to think I was fully formed at any point. I didn't want him to think I knew everything. His whole life he's known things I was good at, things I was not good at, things I was challenged by, obstacles that I've had. So I think that's the way to help a child not hide any challenges or obstacles they have. If you don't hide yours and if you don't, make them feel like you're perfect, so they have to be perfect. They're going to be much more accepting of their own challenges and of their own vulnerabilities. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great lesson. I have one more um, thing I want to bring up. You talk about, and I love this, the power that words have, the ones you choose to use, the ones you choose to think. And you have an interesting take on the power of being openly gay, of how right. people saying like a person in the media is openly gay. That's an openly gay person. Right. I dislike it immensely. You do? Yes. Yeah. So my feeling about when we read or we hear a journalist talk about maybe somebody running for president of the United States or actors or journalists who are gay, they always call them openly gay. And that to me sounds like they're saying that person is not ashamed enough. They have the audacity to be openly gay and not to be hiding it. And I think it is a wink that they think being gay is still shameful. Mm -hmm. And they put openly in front of it to say, well, we're not using that slur first. They've said it first. They're not in the norm. They are, like, the norm is to be hidden. Right, that they are being way too audacious by not hiding it. That's really Uh, interesting. It got me thinking. Why not just say, I mean, I think they should just say gay. Mm -hmm. Openly is theirs. They've put it on us, and I think it's a noxious term. Mm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. There's, uh, There's just so much in the book that just makes you stop, think about, whether you believe it to be true or not true, but to really think about it and, and give it another another thought through. Oh, good. Yeah. I, I, your book made, yeah, definitely made me think yeah. about gay as an identity and how much of my identity do I feel is gay. And yeah, you got me thinking. It's really, it's, it's a brave book. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. Really wonderful. It. Well, thank you so much for coming in. I had the best time. Oh, good. You guys are so great. Tell everyone to get gay like me. A Father Writes to His Son by Richie Jackson. Richie Jackson. And where can they get the book? The book is available wherever books are sold. I like that answer. Um, <laughs> was, as opposed to you can I just get it at my house. <laughs> Come to my house. Well, thank you so this much. This was so, so nice. What Everybody, a nice yeah. way to spend time. Great. Everybody go out and buy this book because it's it's a good read. Thank you. Was, I mean, he's that was thought provoking, right? Very, very. I'm really, really thinking about things. He he challenged me on a few things, not yeah. not in the interview, but personally to think things through differently than what I thought. Yeah, I was just his takes on things were uh, just even reading his book made me yeah. really like, wait, wait, wow, how do I feel about this? I've never thought about it this yeah. way. But it was made like so intimate. I just I love that chat. It was just so great. I feel like he's a good guy. I can't I, believe he has a baby and a oh my god and an 18 year old. Wow, his life. I feel I mean, like actually, I, I don't, don't know. Do you feel like Richie and his husband Jordan might be the ones to invite us over for dinner? I think they, <laughs> I think they might be. I think you're just holding out hope for some somebody, somebody, somebody invite us. Maybe it'll be maybe his like publicist will invite us over. It doesn't have to be Richie and Jordan. Although I prefer Richie and Jordan. Somebody love me too much. Oh God. <laughs> somebody. <laughs> Guys, while Jamie's singing, can we keep this somebody conversation going? Join us on social. Jamie sings there sometimes. Ovaries talk on Twitter. Ovaries underscore talk on Insta. If these ovaries could talk on Facebook, you join our community there and you can talk to other listeners. 
Also, you can join our community on Patreon. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Ovaries Talk for bonus content. Like maybe this week we'll put up something of you singing that was if people want to join. join I think I should sing for every outro. For Everyone's the, like, no, I should just this hum one was fun. You. They're like, this one was fun. Don't do it again. Uh, thank you to our sponsors, Yoga, Sleep, and Better Help. I mean, seriously, you're helping Jamie get better and she needs it. So thank you for helping us make this show possible. We thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Good day. I said good Eggs day. Over his good out. day out. <laughs> Bye. If his ovaries could talk, they would say. Eggs over his out.